Hey guys, what's up? It's Kyle. Thanks for checking out the show. Um, I want to just hop on here real quick and say a few things. Um, there's so much coming out, right, every day. Issues with the PPP. Uh, is it going to be enough? How many restaurants are going to close? Look, it's real easy to focus on the negative right now. It's real easy to take yourself down to a dark place where you're going to say, my restaurant's never going to be open. I'm going to owe the landlord all this money. Um, I do still owe the vendors. I owe payroll. I owe sales tax. Look, I get it. I completely get it. Um, but I think it's time to really start thinking about what this could look like on the other end. Uh, whether you're a traditional sit-down restaurant or if you're a QSR or if you're you know, a taco joint like mine, start to figure out what your business is going to look like, right? Don't take this defeatist fucking attitude of like, it's over. I'm never going to be able to get out of this. The PPP money's not going to come. There are a million ways you can adapt to this situation. And my plan over the next couple of weeks is to continue to have guests on that are going to share exactly what they do to survive, right? This is not about how things were. Um, this is a situation that nobody predicted. And everybody's situation is different from national chain restaurants to local mom and pop restaurants. So start to change your attitude. I don't know what you need to do. I mean, you know, I know it sounds harsh, but you don't have a choice, right? You know, your, your livelihood and your family depend on this kind of stuff. And um, while no one's been through this before, but you've been through some adversity and um, you came out all right, right? So take a look at your business. If you have any questions, you just want to talk or you just want to, you know, bitch about something, you can always text me 631-965-1300. And I'd be happy to share my experience. If you need help uh, reviewing your lease, if you need help talking to your landlord, I would gladly uh, assist in any capacity um, that you think is right. Complimentary. Okay, this is not a pitch for services. This is a pitch to uh, offer myself and what I know and the team that I work on uh, our services to help you in this really difficult time. So um, enjoy the show. Uh, again, text me, reach out to me on social um, 631-965-1300 if you think I could help anyway. Thanks, guys, and stay safe. Hey guys, my name is Kyle and Sarah, and I'm what most people describe as a restaurant guy. I have one purpose in this podcast and on all my social media platforms, and that is to do my part by sharing my experience and what I've learned in helping to reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. Look, I didn't do everything perfect. I don't have all the answers, but what I can share with you is my experience, what I did right, what I did wrong, and what I would do exactly the same. I'm also going to have guests on who are going to tell their story and help share some of their insight so that you restaurant owners and operators can learn from other people in the country, realize that you're not alone. A lot of these issues we all have had, we've all experienced, and collectively we can do our part to help make sure that restaurants continue to thrive in our communities and continue to be sources of uh, employment, places of gathering, and whatever comes in the future, we're all going to do it together. So this is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Thanks for listening. All right, Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. I know uh, you're extremely busy. And for those who don't know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself and just give a little rundown? Uh, yeah, hi, Kyle. How are you? Hey. <laughs> Good to see you, Bill. <laughs> uh, I, I am Bill Tavey. I own The Welk and Colony and Jessup Hall, all in Westport. And I am uh, right now sitting in one of my little side rooms in my house in Weston. So nice. getting ready to go off to Westport in a little bit to go to work. Nice. So you have three restaurants in Westport. And what is the current state of each one of those restaurants? Yeah, so we have three restaurants, the Well Colony and Jessup Hall, like I, like I just said, all three are open. Um, you know, we are, we've been really fortunate through this terrible, terrible situation. We have three restaurants working. I think we have, uh, you know, 
give or take a, an employee to we're, we're at between like 35 and 37 full-time employees working right now between the three oh, restaurants. Fantastic. Yeah. Which is really great. Unfortunately, you know, we had to let off, um, lay off a, a, a couple dozen, uh, furloughed employees that we put off to the side that we've been, you know, trying to keep in close contact with people that we obviously really care about. Right. Um, we've been fortunate through some, some real kind gratuities through the town of Westport and Weston and Fairfield and our customers to be able to send a little money off to our, to our employees that are not with us right now. But, uh, you know, unfortunately we're, we just had conversation with a couple of our furloughed employees that are still having problems with unemployment, which I think we keep totally out as being a common theme. I'm sure, you know, unemployment offices are backed up, but I've got some folks now that, you know, have still not received any of their unemployment money and they've been off for about four weeks. So we're obviously starting to get a little concerned about that stuff. But, um, you know, those, that's a, that's another conversation we could have in, in, in the very near future and in, in the next couple of minutes. But right now, you know, the positives are the restaurants, all three restaurants are open and they are uh, providing food to our surrounding town. Our community has been unbelievable. I literally, I, uh, again, you know, I wake up every day and, and uh, not to get sappy, but I am, it's beginning to hit me more and more how fortunate we really are right now yeah. with our restaurants. And, and um, you know, when everything first hit, I think it was March 23rd or so, um, you know, in Westport when the news had broke that we would be closing the schools and that there was going to be some news that there was a, uh, what would be considered a large outbreak in Westport, you know, that famous party everybody talks about. Right. Some fun, yeah. You know, a bunch of good people getting together and, and enjoying each other's company. That's what that party was. But yeah. It's unfortunately, funny, yeah, you know, it's it sort of, uh, things have come from that. So, uh, you know, we had made a decision early on, as soon as I had, was given the news that, you know, this was, this was about to happen and that Westport was about to become sort of a hotspot in Connecticut, in particular Fairfield County being a hotspot. Uh, you know, we had quickly pivoted. Uh, that was a Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. We went down the quickly went down to 50% occupancy in all three restaurants and, you know, obviously tried to do what we can to, uh, just adjust as, as you know, and, and pivot. And, uh, you know, I realized that Friday after, you know, going into the weekend, we were just really busy and I was thankful, but, you know, even trying to do 50% occupancy, I found that there was a, a sense throughout the people going out that night that, you know, maybe they just weren't as informed as we were at the time of what was really happening. And not to say that people weren't taking it as serious as they should. I just don't think people understood the severity. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. That That's, I mean, one thing I want to say though is, is kudos to you for keeping the three stores open. I know that's no easy task and for staying involved in your employees unemployment process, which, uh, yeah, I mean, that level of care is, is I think a key to your success. So, um, uh, I want to just mention that. I also think that you're right. There was a great degree of lack of understanding how serious this was. Yeah. So even for our little taco place here, people were like, Oh, so you moved the tables. And it was like, yeah. And it wasn't so it was kind of like, cool. Okay. We have a little more room, but then it kind of started really blossoming here. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, it's funny. I, I, I love doctors and nurses and EMS. I hate going to the doctor. So I have a bit of a hypochondriac side to me that like tells me that I'm, I'm always, there's always something wrong with me, but I refuse to go deal with the issues. My wife always makes fun. Just go to the doctor. But <laughs> You know, so I think that it was always in my mind when I was when I was following this, even before it sort of really hit home, the COVID-19, and I just kind of watching it through the news. And of course, there's a little bit of fear mongering, but I had a sense, I, you know, I kept saying this thing is real. Um, you know, whether or not it's at a level back then, we, we didn't understand the severity of it, but I, I saw that people were dying and yeah. people were really susceptible to it. And I just felt as sort of a restaurateur person that's responsible really for gathering people in a place, masses of people. Uh, I just, after that Friday night, you know, two days after the news had broke that we would be sort of changing our dining practices, that Friday night came and I just noticed again that there was just an abundance of people that were kind of coming into the restaurant that were not so into immediately following those immediate restrictions and guidelines because they, I don't think they understood the severity of it. So we had quickly made the decision that Saturday morning. Uh, I woke up Saturday. We had a, a you know, a big uh, FaceTime sort of meeting throughout the company, talking about, hey, this is what we're going to do: fifty percent occupancy. We're going to be really careful, and I want everybody to have gloves on. And, and then forty-five minutes later, my gut told me that we just need to close. Mm. Uh, 
I just felt, you know, I, I couldn't live with the burden, honestly, of, of one of my staff members yeah. getting sick because I didn't understand it enough. And I just kept thinking, you know what? Uh, I have folks that worked with us who live with their father who have some, you know, might have diabetes or, uh, you know, a girl that lives with her grandmother. Yes, right. And, you know, I, <laughs> that's it just kept it kept, yeah, it, it, you, yeah you, you were forced to think of of yeah. uh how to handle you know contagious diseases on a whole nother level like overnight right. and i remember your video there and it was very like frank and and, and forthcoming because i you know i don't see a lot of video from you uh, on there and i thought it was great and that level of concern and thinking of how it radiates out to the the, the employee's home life is uh i mean it's it's it's, it's really tough to wrap your mind around this invisible virus is now impacting your business, but now staff can't come in because it might. Yeah. So that, that's a major concern. And in, in thinking of all that, one of the things that restaurants have been struggling with much like that are set up much like Jessup Hall or the Welk is how do they adapt their menu offerings <laughs> and their staffing set up? what did you do well how did you get that going because it seems like it's working it, fantastically yeah, it's working <laughs> fantastically, yes you know, i mean i i said from what i see you know so yeah, well, no it, it is working fantastic yeah. number one uh the easiest way to be a good restaurant is to have really good employees so that you know that is the obvious but yeah so we have really smart adaptable people that work with us and and you know maybe i was sort of the uh the motivator behind most of it but you know we were presented with a handful of problems and situations and issues that we needed to maneuver through and and figure out how to continue the goal was to keep the restaurants open uh, two main factors what well, you know we wanted to eliminate as many people as we could from the rooms so let's close and immediately go to curbside and delivery uh and then so we could lessen you know right sort of the, the spread of this thing within our own group because i just kept saying you know, if we don't now all of a sudden turn our restaurants and protect the doors of our restaurant, we're now let, letting this invisible thing come in. Right. So immediately we lessened our staff down to sort of essential workers. Unfortunately, in the restaurant business, when you're really dealing with and you're trying to pick and choose who are the most essential people, cooks are at the top because they produce the food. So, you know, the most difficult decision for us was to start looking at our employees and figuring out, okay, salaried workers are going to stay on. All cooks stay on. Uh, and then who sort of, you know, when we were trying to identify the next layer of staffing that might've come from the front of the house, who has families at home, who has been with us the longest, you know, those are the people I wanted to make sure we're able to maintain yep. sort of normalcy in, in, in pay. We had no idea how long this was going to go or how long right. it will go, but I just knew immediately we needed to sort of get down to, down to a core group of essential workers that needed it most. And then right. what we wanted to do was make sure that we kept feeding the community. Um, you know, and of course there's always, you know, the only way to pay my employees is to make money, but also, um, you know, I thought it was really important. And this was a conversation that I had with close friends, my wife, other friends, and you know, what is our responsibility in this? And I think trying to continually feed and support the community that has been so good to us yeah. was number one. Uh, nobody right. knew what was happening, but I just thought, you know, not to make what we do really, really important. But at the end of the day, you know, during this time of confusion and, and not knowing, it'd probably be pretty cool to be able to eat a fried chicken sandwich from the Welk during it, you know, while you're sitting yeah. there. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we just figured, you know, as long as we can, we're going to serve food. And then, you know, and we just went to work on how to do it. So Colony is built for takeout food. We have totally. a rooftop, obviously, in the yep. summer that all the food is served in to-go containers. Very familiar. Yeah, pop. <laughs> you know, Colony just said, okay, close the doors. We're just now full-fledged takeout. And it yep. is a machine. Uh, it's efficient. It runs well. And the whole, truthfully, um, it is, it, it, I hate to say it runs itself, but what I mean by that is internally, there is this group of people that just keep that train moving. And it's amazing how much they love it and how much they take care of it. And uh, I love just watching it go every day. Uh, the Welk and Jessa Paul, to your point, are different foods. So obviously we had to identify you know, and try to think to ourselves, what are people going to eat? Um, you know, what are they looking for? We don't need to be selling filet of halibut anymore because right, right. it doesn't travel well, it's expensive, and maybe people don't want that. So, you know, it, it, it took us a little bit of time and a day or two to really start moving around. My chef at the Welk, Anthony Castellis, uh, who's been with us forever, 
you know, immediately took care of his kitchen, started creating expediting systems, moved all the to-go containers in, we eliminated plates from all the kitchens, we did the same at Jessup, and we just started to identify um, menu items we wanted to sell, and, and then, you know, how do we get them to look semi-decent at a to-go container? Right. Uh, you know, pretty quickly we jumped into it, if you follow any of our social media, yeah. you know, we, and I'm very particular on what we post and what we do, so, Immediately, once we eliminated the plates and got into to-go containers, you know, I, I got on the phone with all the chefs. I said, okay, guys, we need to start taking food photos into go containers for our own sanity. Yeah, right. And to set the expectation too, like you may remember this dish from here, but here's what it looks like coming to you now. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's a great idea. Yeah, one of my posts, one of the first posts was a, was a great picture of the crab toast from the Welk that Andrew oh, so good. sent it off to me. And I think I might've said something. You know, it's where we sort of came up with that little catchphrase was same favorites, new plates. So, you know, uh, it, it that's just... That's a good one. I, yeah, well, I saw it in the to-go container. Anthony sent me the picture with the mermaid and, you know, he's <laughs> doing a good job taking his food, his food photos. And immediately, I, I just was able to take a breath and say, okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay, right. Oh, terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. We obviously miss people in our dining room and our beautiful plates and, and really working hard to get the food from the pan to the to the table as quickly as possible um but you know i think we'll be okay and that's what we've done and like i said it's our community has just the town and the surrounding towns have been just so unbelievable that they put us in a position really where we don't have to worry about things right now thankfully that maybe some other restaurateurs are uh it's allowing us to adapt you know and just work on getting better at what we do and not not worrying about whether or not we are going to be able to sell enough food tonight, you know? Yeah. And I think you're, you're, to your point, you have great staff. They've been with you a while. Uh, the pivot came with a lot of work, but seems like you got it going. I think the general public, you know, some of the sentiment I hear is like, Oh, your restaurant's closed. Well, why don't they just do takeout? And they just think it's like easy as picking up containers and just start stuffing the food in containers and slinging it out. Forget about the fact that, um, of the employees who you can afford to employ because now it's a whole unknown. Now I'm starting to see like the availability of to-go containers. And there's so many different things to consider. And, you know, when you're particular about certain things that you want and what you want to sacrifice, it's just really asking a lot of these restaurants to come up with a new concept. Yeah. Or change your whole, yeah, and your whole operation, which is not easy to do. So I get a little ticked off when I hear somebody say, well, why are they closed? They can always just do takeout. Right. You know, but um, I'm happy to hear that, that, that that's working. I mean, Kawani is, um, I've had it on the roof often, so I'm familiar. That that was probably a pretty easy pivot, but I know it was not an easy task uh, at your other two stores. So You know, listen, restaurants are never easy, right? And, and that's what I think we love about them. So for me, who is riddled with terrible and extreme ADD, I was given the opportunity to sort of create a new concept quickly. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it was, you know, again, I say this cautiously, but it was an exciting situation for us at the beginning to say, okay, we go into survival mode. Let's just work and just let's get neurons firing as quickly as possible. Yeah. This is where we're our best. Sometimes when things, everything is status quo and okay, you know, you'll find me check out a little bit. It's all right, guys, like, uh, yeah. to worry about right now. Yeah, a- yeah, you know, you, yeah, you need something else. Yeah, and I hear you. And I think, you know, I said this in the beginning when it, when it all kind of started happening that, this industry is built for this type of adversity. And I, some people kind of took it like, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, I think it means that you're, the way I, I mean it is, if you, you know, if your grease trap backs up on a Saturday night or your bartender doesn't show up on a Saturday or, you know, uh, the Con Ed or the, the utility is doing work in the street and it delays your open, you're dealt with, you're used to dealing with so many different potential issues that obviously nothing on this scale, but the adaptability of the restaurant industry as a whole, I think made them, made us best positioned to, to deal with that. Do you agree? Uh, listen, Kyle, that first Saturday night when I decided quickly at 1230 in the afternoon to turn the restaurants into takeout and you know, delivery, the fryer at Colony went down right before service. <laughs> I remember seeing that. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? And I posted, I took a picture of the, <laughs> The guy who was working on the fryer and I said, "You're not going to beat us." Like <laughs> and we threw it. Like, everyone's looking at me. Oh, we're going to 86 Rangoons and Karagi, and I'm like, "What are you kidding me? Put a, no. put a pot on." Yes, exactly, on. exactly. And that's exactly the mindset. That's a great point. 
and that's it. Just start cooking. Like all yeah. we need is fire, right? Yes. That's all we need. Um, the beautiful thing that I've been able to do uh, over the last couple of weeks, and obviously I'm working a lot, but you know, we only serve dinner now until eight o'clock. So mm-hmm. our hours in terms of being restaurateurs shrunk a little bit. I, I spend a lot of my early part of the day doing a lot of conference calls, talking, trying to figure out what's next for our company. But I'm generally home, you know, at the latest by 8.30 at night. So we've been doing some cooking outside. And, you know, the kids have really enjoyed watching me cooking in the fire pit. And I'm like, all you need is fire. So, yeah, you know, that's the point. We, we can deal with a lot of stuff. Uh, I have, there's not many things you and I probably haven't seen in this industry. <laughs> COVID-19 thing is a, is a bit of a curveball. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, yeah, like you said, I mean, the, the, you just need to transfer heat to a raw product. That's what we, that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. We, we can figure that out one way or another. I mean, if fire is an option, an actual wood-burning fire, then, then we can figure it out. Um, so in this, and you just said, you know, a bunch of, you know, new you know, time on your hands, you know, spending more time at home thinking about things. What a lot of people are saying is that something new is going to come out of this, right? We were already headed in a certain direction with restaurants, you know, figuring out square footage, figuring out, um, you know, do we need to be paying this much money? Um, I can say for, for me is we were doing 40% takeout at the Taqueria to begin with. So we were kind of just from third gear to fourth gear to fifth gear, it wasn't so bad, but I can see a lot of restaurants now saying like, hold on a second. Maybe I can do this in a thousand square feet and I don't have to have any seats or have you, has this, I know the way your brain works kind of, have you started thinking about what this might mean when we come out of this for your existing stores or the future? I think a lot about it. I do joke and I, I say it with sort of a side smirk, but I'm like, I may never open the dining room at Coney again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why would I? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, uh, I think the immediate, you know, I, I'm really, really, really concerned about what our industry is going to look like over the next 12 months. Yeah. I, I'm petrified at the idea if we try to force ourselves back into restaurants quickly, that we are not able to um, uh, sort of rid ourselves of this situation, of this pandemic. You know, I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I just don't understand, uh, you know, where we are in, in stages of, of throughout this process. But I do know that I, for one, am not, not going to be screaming and yelling that we need to open our restaurants back up. And that's not because we're doing well. Right. Uh, it's easy probably for me to say that right now that, you know, we're handling ourselves, but I'm really, really worried about putting too many people in a room and we don't, have, we don't know enough about this thing. So yeah. that's the one. And I'm, you know, I'm on some, I'm in some other conversations throughout our town and then through Connecticut Restaurant Association on what this all looks like uh, moving forward. And obviously there's going to be some really smart people trying to figure it out. Uh, we're in the process right now. One of the first things I did was called up my brother and uh, Dan Carter's another buddy of mine and Jay LeBlanc from mm-hmm. Not Orms who all have food trailers. And mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, who should I be buying my food trailer from right now? So I've been in conversation and, you know, building a food trailer, seeing Colony and how efficient it is. And then even the other two restaurants now being able to pivot quickly and get food into to-go containers and, and seeing what that looks like. I do think outdoor environments, we need to accept the fact that people are going to want to be outdoors as much as they can, yeah. but as much space around them. So we're working for, in particular, the Welk and Jessup Hall to expand our outdoor dining as the weather gets nice, assuming we're going to be able to bring guests back into our rooms, uh, I would, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd much prefer we fill our outdoor dining and nobody comes into the restaurant, at least for the time being. Uh, what do I think this is going to do to the industry in a whole moving forward? There's going to be a lot of empty spaces, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, and as terrible as that is, uh, I think it's a good time to sort of reorganize and retool, uh, to your point, you know, I think as a, as a community, as a, just as, as people, we're going to have to get used to maybe eating some food at home more than we did as well, just because I think that's becoming more comfortable to people. So uh, I can't imagine that my restaurants, and I'm hoping that I'm wrong, but I can't imagine my restaurants will be at full capacity running with people inside of them for at least another year. That's what I'm thinking. Um, that this time. It's crazy to think that. I don't think, I don't think that's crazy at all. Yeah, we might be looking and seeing, uh, you know, the restaurants full of people sitting at a bar. But right now, from my understanding is when we talk about sort of, you know, pulling the layers back here and trying to get people back into rooms, 
we're looking at 30% occupancy, 40% occupancy max, maybe no bar rooms, no standing room. Yeah. Um, right. Reservation only. Like that really changes a lot of what we all do. Uh, so. But, you know, if you think about it, I think that like, you know, you and I have obviously had this conversation before about, you know, the direction that things are going, but like, this was all kind of happening, right? Like it was all kind of, so we're kind of being nudged very aggressively. And the X factor I think is that there is no barometer. We're not watching something and saying, Hey, when it gets to this level, it's all good. You guys can all go back out. So that unknown is it's scary. And it's, I think if as an operator, if you're doing the numbers, take out delivery, whatever the case may be, minimal seating, the health and safety of your employees and your guests is still going to become the right. top priority. Well, not a burden I want to carry. That's, right. you know, that's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. You know, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to live with the idea that someone will be in our spaces and uh, not be safe. So, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out. I do think, you know, probably back to the original, you know, back to the question as well is, you know, we've been seeing ourselves move towards easier, less complicated concepts trying to lessen our costs. Restaurants are very mm -hmm. expensive to run. We all know we've, I mean, we've spoke about it to a point of boredom. Um, you know, limiting the expense is, is probably in every restaurateur's, you know, yeah. their mind. So how do we do that? You know, fast casual obviously is a concept that everybody talks about. What does that even mean anymore? Yeah. I think it grows and expands, but, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to get back to your Typical classic sit-down dining, where you know the table—you just squeeze as many people into room as possible. Yeah. I just don't think people are going to be comfortable with that, and I don't think it's going to look right. Uh, so, you know, I, my answers are—you uh, know—unfortunately, I don't have that one. Here, <laughs> what it looks like. I know that I was about to sign a lease, you yeah. know, for another Kawani location, which right. I, we, you and I were working on together. And I look at that and say to myself, well. I can't imagine that's something I'm doing, you know, yeah, right. Then I start thinking of the landlords, right. Which we could, we could talk about restaurateurs yeah. um, and we could talk about the big, bad landlord. But the reality is these big, bad landlords who most of the time are really good guys. Uh, yeah. Gals have a lot of money invested in their property. So how, you know, what are we going to, what's going to happen there? So um, it's, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, I've, I've encouraged a lot of, uh, you know, just people that I've spoken to and just having these kind of conversations on the podcast is, you know, hopefully you have a good relationship with your landlord. And I think that in the beginning it was landlords, you got to pay rent, you have a lease, this is what it's due. And restaurants who were not as fortunate as you and I were like, screw you, I can't afford to pay it and whatever. And then maybe they figured it out a little bit. I have to meet in the middle. There's no other way because as a broker on my side, I know that they don't want that space back. They know they don't want that space back and the cost to turn it around and put more money into it and all that stuff. So it, the unknown is creating a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress for both sides. You know, they have a mortgage to pay. Um, I think, you know, we've been paying rent, so I, I can't speak to it specifically, but I think they just got to say, look, this is what I can pay now. We can just figure it out for the rest of the initial term or however you want to draw it up. Let's just get through this now. Let's, you know, once in a lifetime. We've had open dialogue with all three. Yeah, yeah. great landlords they've been great um each one uniquely and independently great in their own way supportive and you know I, the only thing i ask them is that we have a conversation at the end of each month yep and figure out what's comfortable for both of us and yeah we'll do that. and as long as they're they go along with that um you know i'm not thinking about taking advantage of anybody you know when as i sit here and say hey, my restaurants are doing well that's with a huge 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 asterisk next to it you know saying considering right. the situation and sort of how we've been able to lessen our, our costs and expenses. The one thing I do know is for a restaurateur who in years past always needed to make sure we had surplus. I, I always like cushion around us. So we always wanted the best. I wanted to make sure I had the best silverware, the best plates, the best to go containers that, you know, one of the first phone calls I got was from my, from one of my sales reps that sell us our, our to go containers and said, you know, if you want, you could switch back to plastic now. Uh, it's a lot cheaper, <laughs> yeah. you know, we didn't do that. Uh, I've been, um, an advocate, a, a staunch advocate for sort of reducing and lessening the use of plastic. Yep. Um, can I save some money going back to it? Of course I can, but 
Uh, this is, in, for me personally, I just, I don't, don't wanna lessen the standards of my restaurants uh, and for any reason. So, uh, but I did learn that there's, there's things that we might be able to eliminate moving forward in our restaurants that we didn't need before, you know, yeah. like some extra money, right? So, and I, I think to your point earlier about, you know, providing, you know, something cool from the Welk at home, if it's coming in a cool little container and people can, you know, create some sort of reenactment of, of, of their, their meal there, then I think that's, and it speaks to who you are. And I think that's what they want. Some familiarity, some sense of who you are. And, and for, for your brands, I know that that comes with a, a certain degree of quality. And if they can bring that home, then that's what they want. I mean, you, anybody can throw it into a container and then just send it off. But the packaging and how it's handled is all part of the experience now. One of my favorite things. So I, I, I control and run our social media sites. So it's the three for the restaurants, my own personal. And I'm, I'm not great at it. I barely know how to use it. I, I, the one thing I do, I, th I think I have a pretty good eye for the photos we put up. But otherwise, yeah. I have no idea how to use the app itself. I'm constantly <laughs> asking people around me, like, does anyone know how to get this onto an Insta story? So I'm uh, like, but what I love- Bartender videos are great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> those have actually been branded over at Jessica Paul. It's been <laughs> a saving grace. And, great. Uh, yeah, he's been a great sport and we've had a lot of fun doing the, the videos with him. But uh, one of the things I really, I really look forward to at night um, is that when our, when our customers are guests, customers, not even our guests, but our customers, that when they do get food and then they take it home, and then they replate it onto some of their nicer plates. Yeah, yeah. Take photos of it, and then they, you know, they'll hashtag us or they'll put it into our into our social media. And at night, I really look forward to sort of going through those photos and watching how how serious people are taking and replating their food and like getting back to what they think the experience would be at the restaurant. I, yeah. love, I love it. I love it. Um, and that, I mean, I, I think one of the other things that you guys did which was genius. And I'd love to know where this came from was the board game. <laughs> yeah, we were, uh, so yeah, we were McBillions uh, with somebody up late night watching McBillions had like a, yeah, thought, that was my thought. We have a, we have a lot of ideas. There's a lot of, <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of homeopathic remedy. <laughs> uh, we were sitting around, we have a, a group called the, the, it's, you know, we'd have a leader meeting and it's our leaders, it's our managers and our chefs and we're sitting around and, looking for just new fun things to do. Uh, and bingo had come up and Lauren, who is the general manager over at the Welk had said, I think she, I think she yelled out, you know, what about like the McDonald's game, the board game Monopoly? It's great. And I, I mean, my ears perked up. And the one thing <laughs> for anybody that works with me, God bless them because I repeat and I repeat and I repeat and I drill until I get what I want. So <laughs> we are talking and Lauren says this, this idea and then everybody's talking and I go, oh, back to the McDonald's game. And then, okay, so we're gonna do this McDonald's game, right? And you know, it was like the day later, when are we working on the McDonald's game? Uh, it became, obviously it's not a McDonald's game, but it's in theory it is, and yeah. it's just fun. And we were looking for something, again, good ideas come out of the, you know, there's gonna be a lot of really great ideas that come out of this hardship. Mm -hmm. um, but I was just, I just thought it was fun. And you know, it, it's funny, we've had a couple winners recently. We're trying to figure out how legitimate they are. We actually- <laughs> <laughs> There's something fishy going on in Westport. And I, said, I have no problem. I'm giving away the, the, the prizes and stuff, but gaming the system. Yeah, we've had the same customer with <laughs> two, two big 16 letters. That's 16 bags of food. It's not adding up. Yeah, it's a little weird, but you know what? They say that they did it. I gave, I'm giving them the gift. Uh, not to see how many if they're uh, they they're great customers. So. Uh, I, I'm cracking up. Yesterday I was laughing because we're trying to get to the bottom. And, and, you know, here we are trying to crack the code, whether or not this is the same font on the letters or people were printing them. Finally, I'm like, guys, who cares? Magnifying glass. Yeah. So, uh, so that's been a lot of fun. We've got great response on that. And, you know, again, it's just things. Everybody's going through this thing, Kyle, right? So yeah. here we are. And we're trying to figure out, well, if you're sitting at home, fortunately, I get to go to work every day. And I think it's a blessing that I do because I, I, I'm not going through this this sort of situation where I'm sitting in my house and the walls are closing in on me. Um, I'm dealing with other stuff, but yeah. as I do look at people that probably are going through some tough times, like their lives have been really altered. My own children. Uh, I, you know, we're trying to think outside of our own room and say, what could be fun? You know, yeah. anything that's just going to make it uh, a little bit easier for everybody. Yeah. So, 
I mean, that's that's, that's, that's for Lauren over at the well. She 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 yelled out the McDonald's game. I mean, and it seems like it was implemented pretty quickly. I'm like, it look, it looks fantastic. It was all awesome. I drill, I drill, man. It's, oh, there you go. The idea is good. I'm like, it's a sledgehammer. Let's that's awesome. Go. Um, it's you know th- those kind of things like the games and 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 changing the offerings and the cocktails to go obviously is a big thing. I was talking to uh, Matt Storch and in Norwalk, and he's doing like basically like a grocery store. Like yeah. he's doing like a provisioning thing, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, so, Matt, gave it my, you know, Matt, who has obviously has Burger Lobster, Matt's Burger Lobster, mm-hmm. well, you know, right in the, I've known Matt for, God, you know, 20 years now. Um, and what I really enjoyed, again, another positive through this process is how quickly uh, our fellow, and you, I'm sure you saw the same thing where you guys are, fellow chefs and restaurateurs and managers, just restaurant people. Yeah. Quickly, everyone came together. I mean, the, how comfortable I felt picking up the phone and how comfortable they felt picking up the phone and reaching out, being like, what are you guys doing? How are we doing? Yeah. You know, and Matt was one of the people that I really um, was happy to, to have access to early on. And he, I think we were good resources to both to each other. And I watched him again, pivot through this process. And, you know, Matt's a, Matt's a good thinker and he's, he's way ahead on stuff. And he put together the match provisions, which is obviously a really great idea. You know, we had thought to ourselves, we're not, I, I didn't want to take on grocery, um, but I was thrilled that he did. So I watched just what, what he does over at Burger Lobster, how he's been yeah. able to do some of the family meals at match. Um, yeah. You really get to see uh, as this is going on, who some of the, you know, the real contributors are through this process. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's like, I love analogies and, it, and it's really kind of like, you took the punch. Now, what are you going to do? You took a couple of days to kind of be like, okay, this is awful. Yep. I can have a couple options here. Uh, one is not where I want to be. And here is one that's not an option. How do I function in the middle? And I think it goes back to the adaptability of the restaurant community and, and the operators who, who can make it happen. Um, I, I think that it has been. Community is a big part of that too. The operators are really important, but I would stress, I have, I have a lot of good friends in this business throughout Connecticut and in New York, and not all of them are as fortunate uh, as we are being in the area we are. And, I, you know, it's not because they're any less talented. Uh, there's serious badass cooks throughout the state of Connecticut, and as you know, in New York, that whose restaurants are closed or are not having the same success. And it's not because they're not, they're not trying or they can't do, mm-hmm. but the density of their population is less. They're just in a different area, a different yep. demographic. Uh, again, so... You know, we, my restaurant group has taken on the approach. Okay, we figured it out. Now, what I'm really focusing on this last week and moving forward is we're pretty fortunate, you know. So how, what's our outreach now? You know, running the restaurants, we've kind of figured it out. It's not perfect, but we're, we'll get better at it every day. And we identify a problem, we fix it. But, you know, now how can we start reaching out and helping some other folks and feeding yeah. people? So obviously you've seen, you know, Food for the front lines and Nicole yep. Shade and CT Bites. And that's been really great helping some restaurants. And I think we're doing, a, we're actually uh, doing a Weston EMS meal t- tonight through Jessup for Food for the Frontlines because they wanted it. So I figured I wanted to take my hometown. Um, we've put together a, sort of a, a concept that we're working with with Weston as well. We're going to feed a couple families a week. Just what you're, as you and I know, is family, yeah. right? Like what we going into yeah. the service when we're going to pack up some extra meals and we're going to ship them over to Weston and, uh, there's still, you know, our human resources department throughout Weston Gov and town of Weston will identify families that need some warm meals. So we're going to do that. Uh, we feed people, man. And that's, that's the easy part, right? So yeah, uh, that's, that's the thing is it, that's you, you sort of trying to explain to, to other people is like, you know, they're like, well, why, why do you want to go out there? Why do you want to do, why do you want to do this? People are sick. And blah, blah. I'm like, but this is what we got into it to do is to provide food. Yeah, right. If we have this kitchen that can produce larger quantities of food than your average home, then that's what we could do. So we actually added a button on our on all our ordering platforms and on our website, which says donate a meal. So it's rice, bean, bowl uh, with a protein or a sweet potato, uh, small guac and chips and a, and a drink. And every time we get a bunch of money together, then we'll reach out and say, okay, who, who do we need to feed here? You know, we got a thousand bucks. Who can we feed here? So that's just, it comes, I think it comes with the, our fabric of our being. Right. Yeah. We, we, for whatever reason, right. Well, <laughs> we, we were whatever reason, yeah. to, to get, get to deal with a lot of problems and lots of adversity and get punched in the face numerous times. But at the end of the day, uh, 
uh, for all, at least in my, my, I could say, I always get up and my main goal is to then turn around and get food to people, get a service mm-hmm. to people. That's why I'm in the restaurant industry. Yeah. That's it's, it's so much, it's as simple and as complicated as that, right? I know. Yeah, now, what has been your thought on, uh, I'm going to get you a hot take here, on the Ruth Chris and that whole shakeout? I mean, we're in two different stratospheres. Yeah. Um, had, was that a tough pill to swallow or are you? Yeah, you know, you know why it was. Um, listen, let, I would say it first, but I don't think the way that the federal government had structured PPP loans is what you're talking about, yeah. which is what not made for restaurants. Uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't work. We deal with this conversation um, constantly with the Connecticut Restaurant Association. This has been topic and priority and conversation number one every morning at 9 a.m. Monday yeah. through Friday at our conference calls. Uh, so the PPP loan was really not made for the restaurant industry. It just doesn't work. But regardless, Ruth Chris did follow the guidelines and were given the money. Now, the problem with it is because it's, you know, the funding's coming from independent banks, which then is being, you know, sort of subsidized or recovered through federal loans. Uh, I would assume, you know, Ruth Chris is probably at the top of a lot of banks' uh, priority list with the amount of money that they carry hold. So uh, that's what happened, you know, with Danny Meyer and, and the Union Square Hospitality Group. Yeah. The same thing. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the tough pill to swallow is, again, I have friends in the restaurant business, in the retail business. We could talk restaurants all day long. I have a friend right. from high school that has her life savings in a 2,000 square foot clothing store just outside of Boston and has nothing, like no stimulus is coming her way. She can't get anything. Um, and this is a girl that literally dedicated the last 15 years of her life to create this store. And she's not an essential store. She has no resources coming her way. Right. Um, so yeah, it was a tough pill to swallow, but it made a lot of sense because unfortunately that's just the way things work. I, know. I, I, had, I had a conversation with a guy who, who earlier today, who's a franchisee and one of his partners is a Ruth Chris franchisee. And he said, you know, you got to understand, I think this is being misconstrued in the press is that Ruth Chris, the corporate didn't get a dime of this. Right. It was the collective franchisees who have put together this money. And he goes, it's going to go take care of people the same way it would take care of. So that made me feel a little bit better. Yep. The banking fees that they're collecting still kind of stings because, and you know, I mean, we're fortunate enough to not need the money. It yep. would be like a nice, you know, extra layer here if we could make it happen. But there are guys here where 25 grand would change their life. Their life. That's what, then that's the problem. When you, when you see sort of the end, she rang the, the whatever it was, Ruth Chris that, you know, profited $40 million or something last yeah. year. $20 million. Who even knows where those numbers come from? Because I don't know what's real and what's not. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the assumption would be Ruth Chris is a pretty successful restaurant group. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, that money, in order to be uh, 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 forgiven, you know, there are some strict guidelines on what it needs to be used for. So do, is the belief, I read on Twitter, is the belief that Danny Meyer and Union Square Hospitality Group should have turned around and opened up their own po- personal pocketbooks? Maybe, because if it means that that $10 million Union Square Hospitality had received, which now they had returned, but if that would go directly to smaller restaurants or smaller businesses, I'm absolutely, yeah, give it back because you yeah. just don't need it. Um, but it was not based on necessity, right? So no. it's based, you, whoever filled it out first, yep. and the rabbit won the race. And that's kind yeah. of what it went. So, and, I, and I think a lot of people are thinking, not thinking about this correctly. That money was meant for employees. So- as an owner, and everybody's different, you, you, have a, you obviously hold your employees in high regard and would prioritize this, but there are owners out there who would not and who saw this as a lifeline for themselves and would translate that into some other kind of thing. So I think the expectation was off, and I think there's a lot of things that are off, the definition of a small business and the transparency and all that fun stuff. But um, I think the understanding was this was supposed to go in the pockets of employees. If they have 6,000 employees, that's 6,000 people that just got money yeah. presumably to really, PPP, go back in the economy. Yeah, PPP was actually designed to lessen the burden on unemployment insurance, on the yep. unemployment funding, the federal funding of unemployment. So, so they did not deplete and drain and, you know, and overtax uh, the unemployment system. They put together the stimulus package, which was the PPP. And that was to get people off unemployment because the way it's written is this, you, in order to be forgiven, you need to have 75%, I believe, 75%, of your 
employees back. It might even be 90% of your employees back paid in full time. The problem with the restaurant industry is it's, it was capped at June 30th. Right. Here we are, we get two and a half months, we pay them, we lay them off again anyway. Yeah. In the meantime, what we're doing is what, why it doesn't work. It works for e-trade, for people that are working from home, e-commuting, right? Look, different companies. But for us, do you really want to bring, uh, you know, my, full, my employees that have now been home, I haven't had access to them. I'm not quite sure what they've been doing, who they've been in contact with. I don't really want to be introducing more people into the room of my restaurants. Right. And that, I also have problem with it, uh, you know, because in order to be forgiven, I need to bring them back full time and pay them a full time salary. Well, I don't have work for them. Right. You know, they paint the outside. Great. But all I'm doing is raising the liability of my room. Right. Uh, so unfortunately, it's not there. You know, there's shared unemployment, which is a great thing. And then there's obviously some of the SBA loans out there. Um, but you said it before, and this is, I think, is a big conversation and something to really think about. Uh, everything has been focused on protecting the employee. And I think there needs to be a little bit of protection for the employer, for the small mm -hmm. business employer, um, you know, who potentially can't collect unemployment, uh, who doesn't fit in the stimulus package sort yeah. of. Right. Packet. Um, you know, and the people that have dedicated their lives and put all of their resources into their small stores, retail, food, whatever it may be. And, you know, yeah, everybody's out there and talking about getting unemployment insurance and some stimulus checks that will come to help people. But what about the, you know, the jewelry store owner that, you know, that yeah. had a store in her family for 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. Yeah. And Main Street. Yeah. And, that, and that's what that's and depending on how you're structured corporately is my understanding is you are not included in that PPP number, you know, so that that could be an issue. I mean, I have a little bit of a cynical view on on or a take on this. And I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours and we both kind of agreed is where are all these organizations that wanted us to hand out everything for the last couple of years? And, you know, it would be nice to have them say, hey, we can't give you cash or whatever, but it's, it's kind of deafening. And I'm like, you guys are begging us for cash donations, for gift cards, to show up at events, to, to sling food for free and, you know, hopes of a promotion. Uh, it, would nice, it would be nice to see, and maybe it'll happen on a larger scale, maybe not so micro, but uh, something come together and say, look, here's, here's what we can give you. It's a great point. You know, as we all know, the restaurant industry is sort of target number one for fundraising. Uh, and we've always been, you know, as kind as we can to give to our community and support it. You know, I would say for me, I, you know, I, how we started this conversation, I personally look at what our local community has done for us. Yeah. Now during this time as the payback for all of that fundraising money I gave to, you know, to kindergarten. That's a good perspective. That's I a can't, much better perspective. I can't ask any more. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> of West, no. West in Fairfield, Norwalk, and whoever else from the surrounding. Like, like I said, you know, I have three restaurants running. I have God willing, healthy employees working hard. We're feeding a lot of people. They are giving back to us right now. So yeah. every penny that I gave away, I feel is coming back. And like I said, what I'm prioritizing now is that I'm thinking is, okay, now how do I get back to a position? You know, how does my restaurant get back to a position where we're now we're giving back? So yeah. that's as starting this family meal program and so on and so forth, because it, 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 it evens out, you know, um, everybody, we all have our own motivations and our own things we need to take care of. Right. But at the end of the day, again, the taco shop is open. My three restaurants are open. We have mutual friends throughout the industry whose restaurants are open. who are working hard. Um, people are giving back cause they're eating, you know, who's to yeah. say, um, you know, you don't have to eat at the well twice a week right. anymore. You don't have to do that. So uh, I, I feel like I'm getting it back now and I'm happy with it now. I just want to figure out, you know, start identifying some local restaurateurs and chefs and friends. And we have a lot of conversations on what's next for us and how are we going to not only get ourselves through this, but how are we going to uh, repivot and change our industry for the better? You know, right. the conversations we talk about all the time. I think it's yeah. a natural market. Uh, I think it's really difficult to make money in it. I'm hoping that as we get through this, everybody's able to recalibrate a little bit and figure out what's important and how do we just be, right? You know, how do we just, uh, every, it, there should just be sort of this common thread throughout that like we all just went through this terrible time. Here's our expectation level now of what it means to go to a restaurant. And yeah. I don't, service should not be good, but, um, you know, just the support level needs to be there. Yeah. I think it will be.
I agree. Well, that's a, I think a great place to end. I always appreciate your insight on, uh, on the restaurant stuff and we have great conversations. So I appreciate you being frank uh, here and, and being honest and telling us uh, what you guys are doing to get through it. A lot of people I know are, are looking at restaurants like yours for, for tips on what to do. And um, I do think it's important that we keep in mind a lot of these guys who are not as fortunate as we are. And um, yeah, I would yeah. say this too. It's, I think it's important and, and for whatever this is worth, but you know, if you're out there and I've, again, my, I don't have all the answers, but what I do know is, is I've had a lot of conversations. So for people that are out there, folks that are out there, you know, a lot of guys in the industry, I put it out there. You know, if, if you need a hand, send an email, a text, it's easy to find my number. It's easy to find your number. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I think is really important is we do try to help in our industry, everybody get through this thing. Absolutely. Uh, it's not easy at all. Uh, the best advice I could give is just keep going at it, you know? Yep make your food taste fucking delicious yeah if your food tastes delicious people want to eat it yeah. start there and then work your way down so work hard guys and um i think we'll be okay we'll come out of this thing you know yeah i agree i agree well uh, thanks again and uh i'm sure we'll be in touch hey brother talk to you soon pal. all right talk to you soon All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I want to take a second here and just remind you that, like I said earlier, my goal is to help reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. So what I did is I went on my Instagram and I created a link to my calendar. And if you head there and you click the link in my bio and you scroll down, you'll see that there's a drop down menu there and it says 15 minute phone consultation. So if you're a restaurant owner operator and you just have a quick question, you don't know where to turn, whether it's about operations, whether it's about a startup, how to find money or what to do with this particular server, whatever the case may be, I am there for you. It's a free 15 minute phone consultation and I'm here to help. So if you need it, you know how to find me and continue to listen and support the podcast. I would love if you would uh, share, comment, review, whatever, all that fun stuff. Uh, and I just appreciate the love and support I've been getting for this. So we're going to keep cranking them out. And if you're interested in being on the show, please hit me up. Best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram, or you can always text me at 631-965-1300. Thanks so much again, guys.